Welcome back to River Heights Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. And we're here to talk about everyone's favorite lassoing, horse riding, country cowgirl detective, Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew. What a departure we've had this week. The complexities of the crimes that she engages with. But I want to know whether you think that Nancy Drew is just a very efficient crime fighter in that if you have her going after a a forger or a fraudster, she's also going to trap a bank robber or a diamond thief (laughs) because they're the same person. Is it that she's efficient or is it just that she can only catch the types of criminals who are so overtaxed and thinly spread because of the many crimes they have going on at the same time? Today we're talking about Secret at the Shadow Ranch. Of the Shadow Ranch? Yeah, the original was at Shadow Ranch. Okay. It didn't occur in Shadow Ranch at all. And Nancy was helping basically the neighbor. It was just the bank robbers, treasure hunting. You know, a lot of bank robbers out in the Old West hiding out. That makes sense. They thought it would be more proper if Nancy was helping family. Nancy Drew's heading out west for fun. And this friend's aunt and uncle say, you can't stay here because it's dangerous because there's a mystery. And Nancy's retort is, but there's a mystery. I was spied on at the airport. A man partially stole my luggage. He left a note in my car and he has wrapped up a rattlesnake tail and put it in my bag now i have to solve now it. i have to be in danger because of all this danger and they're like yep yep that checks out that reads yeah <laughs> well also her friends have told them what a wonderful detective she is yes and we're told that she has worked on many other dangerous assignments they've done this so far and i love it when they list the other things she's done the second thing they list is the book before mystery yes. i like it but they still list the secret of the old clock like that was a mystery which <laughs> if you listen to our podcast it very much was not do you want to hear the 1930s nancy description from the this book? I absolutely do. Okay. Nancy was the only daughter of a lawyer who specialized in criminal and mystery cases. Nancy's mother had died only a few years after her birth and the girl had assumed the management of the Drew household at an early age. She had taken a keen interest in her father's work and frequently had discussed unusual cases with him, but it was quite by accident that she got involved in a baffling mystery of her own. First of all, it's never by accident. It's usually Carson Drew who puts her in the in the mystery. I just love Ooh. Oops, all mystery. <laughs> Just stumbled into that one. Yeah. What are we going to do? You know, if you examine enough things, trouble follows you wherever you go. Just like the two people who were spying on her at the beach resort, one of these fellas is just at the airport and just overhears them talking about it and says, I should let them know not to go to Shadow Ranch. His name is Sid Bryce. Sid Bryce. He's called Bercy most of the book. Oh, we should give them multiple names. That's more mysterious. We've had a Scooby-Doo. We've had a Count Olaf. We've had Notions of Love. This is my (laughs) X-File or Twilight Zone because I'm... We find out that she's being picked up from the airport by... Bess Marvin and George Fane, who are sure. cousins. And who are, as and, we all know, uh, as everyone knows, her very best her friends. Her two best friends. They grew up together. They've They're always every, been around. Every, they've done everything together. The book insists time after time. It's <laughs> gaslighting us. So Bess Marvin and George Fane are very interesting characters. I feel 
like they've really split up the personality traits of Helen into the kind of mystery interested and tomboyish for George and fat and stupid for Bess. So first of all, I feel like it's more like they split up Nancy and they're like, okay, here's your more feminine side and that's Bess. And she is a lot like Helen, who was also supposed to be like feminine. Bess is the girly girl. And then they're like, this is if Nancy was actually too tomboyish. So this is the tomboy George. And this isn't my theory, but I think this is true. That makes Nancy seem like the normal or exact right Right. middle. Oh, Bess. She is the butt of the joke in this book. I've read some of the 50s versions and 30s versions. And she's called slightly plump, yes, but I think it's supposed to be just a positive character description. She's also called very pretty in every description of her. However... And yet, George says to her at one point, let me quote this, eating is really a very fattening hobby, dear cousin. George is abrupt and she teases people and she calls Nancy on things. Apparently in the more original versions, George would come up with like even crazier ideas than Nancy, making Nancy's ideas ideas seem like really reasonable listen i'm glad we have characters that we can learn to love for more than their ability to spot haircuts at Mm -hmm. at a mile away but it is just bizarre that we do not get the benefit of the kind of introduction that allows you to get to know a character we're just thrown in the deep end with these two i wanted to shout out an article by sally e perry it's the secret of the feminist heroine the search for values in nancy drew and judy bolton and this was published in 1997 and she says that Nancy had less dignity than Bess, who usually tried to do the proper thing at the proper moment, but considerably more dignity than George, who was noted for her topsy-turvy ways. So you see things with Bess, like she's always fixing her makeup and worried about how she looks. When they get rained on, it's very embarrassing for her, very cognizant of the handsome cowboys. That's true. That's true. She was the matchmaker as well, right? Yeah, she's the matchmaker. She got those two underage teenagers together in a very romantic hair i'm sure oh i i wanted to give you a few of the original text quotes from the 1930s about these characters oh i want to know so about bess though she lacked the dash and vivacity of her cousin she was better looking and dressed with more care and taste and she says to george well you sort of pride yourself on being boyish don't you your personality fits with your name you will admit i guess in the 1920s it was a big trend to give girls boy's names and that's the original story that George gets this boy's name but in the 50s they're like oh no 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 George is a nickname for Georgia yeah absolutely but in this one we didn't see that it was just George well you know it's the same type of personality trait I think we've seen from George and Bess for the Mm -hmm. first four books Mm -hmm. when we knew them well because they were dear friends of Nancy yes yes listeners will remember from the last four episodes don't go back that we've talked a lot about George and Bess oh yeah of course Well, you know, George was in my class last year. Right. I'm also good friends with her. Well, this is your first episode, right? (laughs) Since I was doing this with Bess for the first four. So at the beginning, Nancy and George choose soft drinks while Bess studied the menu. Which I think as a fat girl myself, you understand the absolute judgment that is cast upon you for studying a menu when someone else isn't. That's it. They use that as a comic device. 
because as best studies the menu she says this mystery has me so upset that my appetite is gone then she added i'll have a double chocolate sundae with walnuts <laughs> i'm gonna have to show some temperance because i'm gonna want to just like haphazardly jokingly spend the rest of this series being like oh bess that fat cow oh, no. because that's how the book treats her right it's so stupid already that it's hard not to push it but it's, it's oh it's mean George is being very mean <laughs> george afterwards with her sharp little tongue says poor girl wasting away and i'm like yeah you just fat shamed her good job george sorry best looks sheepish it doesn't just look sheepish but says never mind me all i want says bess is to eat chocolate and not have physical presence in the world if i could not take up space and fill the emptiness inside me mm. oh man not that george isn't herself clearly coping with some serious traumas i do look forward to finding out what the traumas are that make these girls who they are oh i'm sure we won't i will infer okay as we go along i will have my own background canon about what made george and best this way i definitely think that the sexism was ramped up quite a bit in this book definitely through the characters of bess and george but also we have our first overt thing which is ed raleigh says that nancy can't solve this case because it would be too dangerous for a girl i feel like that's a very 90s feminism moment well when we were talking about uh 90s racism Mm. and the kind of tone deaf absent-minded way it would happen white supremacy also this existed in the 90s but you know in pop culture Mm. it's alive and well yes i don't want to pretend that the 90s was only goofy you know uh nerf racism like there was bad stuff yeah but along with in pop culture this kind of haphazard tone deaf racism you have this type of feminism that says can we set the bar where we're at yeah can we pretend we've risen to the bar by putting it exactly where we already are so you get this girl power that is girls can't ride bikes wanna bet girls can't cook a dinner wanna bet i mean it doesn't matter what it is as long as you've already met that bar it's the same as the way disney loves to do feminism yeah that's exactly what i'm thinking of. by setting yeah. their stories in the past mm-hmm. so that the things that are in their story extreme forms of feminism are for us normal but why would you set it in the present because then your feminism would have to go against what the audience thinks is normal it, it's very funny and it, yeah it sets and a then, low bar and then today the bar is low because we're like but we're doing better than the television and the movies did do in the 90s Mm. And it's like, yeah, but no, we're doing really poorly still. I totally forgot. I have to tell you, there was a whole other villain in the 1930s. What? Yeah. She just like breaks and enters into this woman's house. She just like goes right in. I mean, that's Nancy. And Exactly. That's why it came up in my memory. Nancy meets this woman, very poor, in a dilapidated shack. Hate her already. Not good. Don't like her. Looking. (laughs) But her child, Uh Angelic. So dressed in the ugliest rags imaginable, it's abuse. the child was unusually pretty. She had almost <laughs> perfect features, and her curly golden hair would have been lovely were it properly washed. Class shines through, darling. 
basically, she believed Lucy to be of quote unquote better stock. Oh, that's eugenics shit. I know. Ooh, that's eugenics. Nancy Drew is not a Robin Hood. She is meant to uphold the status quo. She doesn't help people who are poorer. And if she does, she doesn't do so in a way that puts them on her same level. She'll leave your $5 and buy you medicine, but (laughs) that's about it. So you know what Nancy figures out? Well, what? They can't be related. Oh, no. That doesn't make sense. So they they pulled a whole Olaf out of this book that I didn't get to read about. Yeah, yeah. So she goes on a whole mission to prove that (laughs) Lucy is not related to this woman, finds out she was kidnapped. The woman was stupid and didn't even cover her tracks. Well, no one expects. Because you know how the poor are. (laughs) Yeah, no one expects to run into a a, a middle class white girl. This is our, is this our third book of Sabotage? Nancy says, oh, but it must be a trick, of course. And I'm boggled by this because it both is and isn't a trick they have this phantom horse which these bad guys say there's the there's a myth about a phantom horse this that's true that's historical let's make it a fake one and then every time the phantom horse shows up let's just wreck up the place place. (laughs) but it's understood by everyone that this is sabotage it's understood that someone is wrecking up the place every time this phantom horse shows up it just doesn't hold together as a plan you said these criminals have clearly stretched themselves too thin right they didn't really even need the horse but by adding the horse they add a whole lot of trouble now they have to take care of a horse hide a horse (laughs) buy japanese silk to cover the horse in as a costume obviously not only is this horse not cover for why these things are happening every time this horse shows up if everyone just said okay and went about their business it would be a much less useful horse even nancy rides after it if she didn't she probably would have been more likely to get clues i as a kid i can say i was very in love with the idea of a ghost horse i loved horses then why would you want one dead ah gotcha on that one i want one who didn't die because they went on in spirit form so they're still at the airport she gets her knitting bag stolen (laughs) set upon by criminals who somehow know that in the future she'll be a problem in the parking lot of the airport she spies the same guy dropping a note into her car that says keep away from Shadow Ranch. Just what an absolutely incompetent idiot. Put it on her windshield. Get out of there. It leads to this goose chase. He didn't really do anything you can get him in trouble for. I mean, later she brings the notes to the police. So we'll hold on to this for evidence. Oh, we'll go arrest them. So they're driving along. They're like, oh man, we're so stupid. Why didn't we tell you about Alice? Oh my God. The way mysteries come to Nancy. (laughs) Oh shoot, I forgot to tell you. So he's missing. It's been six months since a bank robbery he went into the bank to get some papers and never came back this was mentioned in such passing that when towards the end of the book someone said i wonder if it's those chicago bank robbers i was like what what (laughs) chicago what (laughs) apparently there was the same subplot in the original 1930s book but in that one he had actually received a head injury from the bank robbers and had amnesia did not know who he was see i need that i I want that (laughs) that's that more satisfying reason then they decided to keep him alive for six months to sell his paintings to sell his like, paintings if, on the side if this man has amnesia and is painting and selling his paintings his pastels his pastels sorry which everyone should know is a 
special type crayon. Of crayon. And not a picture, <laughs> not a painting, but a picture. And if you say painting, you're not an artist and you're a liar. Yes. Uh, Nancy deduced that. But we digress. So if he had amnesia, yeah. selling his pictures would make more sense than I, I was kidnapped. I was making pictures for my own diversion and entertainment because I guess I was kidnapped with the paper that I needed or they stopped at a Michael's on the way. I don't know. And then they took them from me and sold them. And said they were theirs. Which was the other thing is like, why tell anybody, oh, we live up on that mountain if you're in a hideout situation? It was very confusing. And Compounded it, by the fact that one of the robbers happens to look like him. Twins all over again. Okay, so they're driving along and now what do we have? Sandstorm! Yes, the log of the desert. <laughs> <laughs> Were you saving that? No. I don't even think it makes sense. <laughs> look, at, look at the spike when I laughed there. <laughs> yes, you love that. Yeah, the log of the desert. They have to real quick roll up the window, which Nancy Drew is very adept at. No automatic windows in the 90s. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. So they get a lot of sand on them. Then they have to fix their makeup, even yeah. though only the lizards will see them. The radiator overheats. They're like, oh, let's go get that water. The sinking canoe of the desert. Yes. Oh, yeah, Shorty. Good old Shorty. He packed us some water there's no water so they don't have water casting the first pall upon shorty's character there's not a lot of depth there he can make noises that sound like a bunch of things He's, yeah he does good imitations of animals we find that out at the rodeo but he just keeps sabotaging them but in these ways where it's clearly him so his main thing is he can very convincingly lie because she's never sure if he's lying no i never said i would fill your water up yeah i, I mean oh that could... i don't know how that nettle got into that saddle that I insisted I put on for you. Yeah. Every time Nancy says, hmm, I wonder if you put that nettle in there on purpose. I didn't uh, know that worked so well. That really, that really almost got her. The horse reared. I think she's such a good rider. Well, I have to say, I don't think Shorty even cracks the top 10 for dumb names. Yeah, I mean, it's a believable cowboy nickname. He didn't have a birthday. Hey, Shorty. Oh, no. It's your birthday. <laughs> I was like, wait, did other villains <laughs> have birthdays in these that I've been not Read remembering? Read between the lines, Hope. I'm sorry. That went Gomber had like three birthdays. I don't know. I remember as a kid, I did not realize that Shorty was a bad guy. To me, he was just a cool cowboy who somehow seemed guilty when he wasn't. I, have I a... think I was team Shorty and thought Dave Gregory was the bad guy. I have a so. confession to make, which is that I am a big fan, as you know, an addict of the Nancy Drew video games. And I have played The Secret at Shadow Ranch. Uh-oh. So I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I didn't have the opportunity to be surprised. They decided to stay within the car because it's cooler than out in the desert. Are they cranking the AC? How does that even work? Luckily for them, Dave Gregory shows up. Cranky Dave. Dave Gregory is a tall rangy cowboy with a handsome face. I don't know why, but they keep saying he's unfriendly to Nancy. I didn't really see anything he did as that unfriendly. No? Are you kidding me? What? He didn't even ask her out for half the book. <laughs> Very cranky. He gave gruff glances. I think being cranky towards Nancy just means somehow you got on the negative side of her famous intuition, but you're not a bad guy. What was the quote you had? He tells Nancy, I was doing some extra investigating. Whatever that means, Nancy thought. Oh my god. Whatever that- Nancy, that's all you do! <laughs> None of your investigating isn't superfluous, Nancy. <laughs> Whatever that means. And later she's like, why have you been unfriendly to 
to me. And he's like, I, I had a special reason. Special reason. It's as coded as she's busy. <laughs> Before she can ask him what that meant, he's like, goodbye, I, I gotta go. Why didn't you like me? Well, I had a special reason. <laughs> I like when Uncle Ed is talking about the people he does and doesn't trust. He says, well, Sanders, trust him with my life. Bud, trust him with my life. Dave, trust him with my life. The rest, I wouldn't accuse him without proof. <laughs> and Nancy says, nor would I. <laughs> Bull crap, you wouldn't, Nancy. You love accusing people all the time. I wonder if he really didn't give me water on purpose. I wonder if he got lost just to trick me into spending the day. Like, all you do is say, I wonder if that thing someone did was in order to steal my watch. What a weird twist. Because that, Like, that's not a bad thing, but he's afraid that his boss won't think he's doing his job. And so he has to keep it hidden from everyone. I mean, he isn't really doing his job. Dave Gregory is the John McBride of this book. John McBride was secretive because he was in the army. Dave Gregory is just secretive because that's hot now. And this is where we find out that Dave is the not boyfriend of the book yes he is the not boyfriend of the book what will ned think and his family's treasure is buried maybe somewhere on the it land it makes more sense if he just didn't want anyone else to find the treasure first or he didn't want to share the treasure i think what you see from dave gregory is the trope of the cowboy who doesn't trust the tenderfoot yeah you know nancy comes out and she's got to prove herself this is what makes the tone so different. This adventure is not one to me that is worthy of a girl of Nancy's affluence. It's abuse to even consider that someone of her level would have to clean the house. Listen, I'd expect Nancy to be a, a seasoned equestrian. I'm not surprised by that. But there's just something about the dirt under the nails in this book that really feels like a shift in who Nancy is. She discovers the second warning note in her knitting bag. The rattlesnake's tail wrapped in wrapping paper. The wrapping paper literally says second warning on it. This is what drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. He stole the bag before he gave her her first warning, which means he had to... That's true too! Yeah, he had to drop that second warning before he gave the first warning, knowing he'd hidden it well enough. He put it in a hidden compartment. Next to the lipstick diamonds. So that night, her first night on the ranch, a noise awakens her. I find this pretty funny. She follows a dark figure into the kitchen. She gets grabbed by Mrs. Thurmond, the cook, who screams very loudly to wake up the whole ranch. They all come running. This is why I always say, be careful the dark figures you chase, lest <laughs> you the dark figure become. I just love that not a single person doubts Nancy when she's like, I saw somebody else. They had to have just disappeared from the room. To be clear, this is a household of people who have no problem with a ghost horse. That's true. During the night, the water is also stopped. You can easily see the sabotage plotline doesn't need to be. The 1930s book was probably in this case pretty solid even without that. Even though that's what you spent a lot of the book following. It's so disjointed that I can't decide whether what was additionally added was the sabotage plotline or the love interest rodeo plotline. The sabotage. I was gonna say well the, <laughs> well the love interest rodeo seems more out of place in any detective book. Knowing Nancy I think yeah that would have been the 1930s. What did she do? She stopped bank robbers and went to a rodeo. So the sabotage plotline entirely superfluous and very strange. So then they go to town to tell the sheriff about notes. While they're there she stumbles upon a man robbing a store. She looks through and she sees a man with a bandana like he's like a train outlaw. Scooping jewels into a bag. What's her plan? What does she do? Jumps aside and topples a tower of baskets into the thief's path. Well yes but the first thing she does is she goes hey 
stop. And it wasn't until he ran off that she called for the sheriff. And Mary Dear comes over from the coffee shop next coffee door. Sh- and she's just like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have left my store and diamonds unlocked. But I don't often have customers at this time. Well, that's a good reason to lock up, Mary Dearest. It's a good reason to lock up your diamonds because neither you nor customers are often there. She's very grateful to Nancy. Grateful enough to give her a locket watch of some sort. Which the watch still works. Piece of local history. And we find out a romantic myth. A guy stole money. He wanted to give it to someone he loved. Her father killed him. His name is literally Valentine. They keep telling us how romantic he is. It's the classic story. She's the sheriff's daughter and he's an outlaw and they can never be together. After she gets this watch she sees a painting on the counter a pastel. You know you're not an artist because you called it a painting. Says oh man I gotta get that. Yeah buys it. Buys the painting. Brings it home and Alice is like my dad painted that. But on the way home she sees a man who tingles her spidey intuition. Yes. Because he looks a little too hard at her new watch. He's wearing all black as well and has a 10 gallon hat. Literally a black hat. And she She says to herself, could the guy who stole the diamonds have Mm -hmm. changed clothes and then come to a bench outside the store he stole the diamonds from because he didn't want diamonds, but he wanted what I have. And then she says to herself, yeah, probably. That's probably what happened. That's probably what happened. (laughs) Weirdly, that's kind of what happened. I love when she talks about someone disappearing from the spring house. She says, well, maybe there's a secret door in the wall. Nope. (laughs) Well, maybe there's a secret door in the floor. Nope. Okay, there's no secret doors. But you know what she didn't think of? What? A secret door. Because there was one! Psych! She finds the secret entrance in the vat. Her uncle's like, don't even look over there. What a dumb place to look, Nancy. They catch Dave digging in the cellar. This is where Dave says, I've got the other corner of that photograph. It says that the green bottle's in the cellar. It's a locket with two photos. They have Valentine's photo, and he has Francis Humbert's photo. So one says green bottle in, and the other just says cellar. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay. Nancy figures out from the store that Dave's able to tell her of what happened that night. The bottle is hidden in a lamp. Finds the note. The note is very romantic from Valentine. The phantom horse appears. This time, the dog is taken away. AC runs after this horse and then disappears like a dog in the night. Also, her room is ransacked. The horse ransacks her room. They were probably looking for that watch. I mean, what else? She's wearing it on her sweater. So then they find the compartment in it. With a secret to a treasure that doesn't make any sense. There's also dog sounds at one time that lure them out of their room. Dog sounds are used instead of the horse because really anything that happens at night is just to lure people out of their rooms. (laughs) The story makes it so that the bad guys kind of have that clue also. She gets the watch. The bad guys see she gets the watch. She leaves the watch in her room. The bad guys find the secret compartment, read the note, and now have the same clue she does. Then they go off to a ghost town all by themselves. Mary Deer has told them that that's where the artist lives. And okay. they're like, oh, that's for sure where, where they, her yeah. dad is. They have one lead, mm-hmm. and it's that a pastel picture is definitely done by a dad if my dad disappeared six months ago and I'm finding his artwork all over town, I'm just like, oh, my dad's not interested in being around. And Nancy sees the man with the hat, Mr. Diamond. Sneaking away. George is like, you know, lots of men wear hats, Nancy. Anti-Helen. Helen would notice that man's cufflinks from around the corner. Fuck up, George. We're with Nancy Drew. So Nancy's in the 
this old building and I love this part. Nancy realized that she might be cornered in the old building and knew she must get out. Finally, Nancy realizes maybe don't be alone in buildings. I might get <laughs> tied up and left here. And then he pushes the building off the cliff or something. He causes a rock slide. She falls yeah. down a whole floor. She's fine. So they go to the cabin, can't find anyone, but they do find the dog with a severe head injury. Why did they give the dog a, a head injury? Did the dog need amnesia? And she also decides, Alice, your dad is innocent, which there's like no reason to believe that at this point. There's very little reason to believe her dad's involved. Nancy does get locked in the required shack of the day. The same one, the secret entrance? No, it's not the spring house. It's the tack house. She goes to like get a horse. It also threw suspicion on Dave because she had just been telling Dave she was gonna go investigate. She makes a pile of unsteady stuff climbs up to the window. So this is our window of the book. She uses a crowbar to open the window and out she goes. I think I was drifting off during this part in the book. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's locked in. Yeah, 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 yeah. She'll get out. Tex and Nancy scare each other in the stable. Also nothing. They just literally both are like, why is someone in the stable? Hide from each other. Find each other. And are really like, oh, whoops. That's a whole seven yeah. page thing. So then that phantom horse strikes again. Mm. This is my favorite part. She's like, I'm going to catch it. And then she she immediately runs her horse into, into a, a horse. Palomino horse. She runs her horse and into a horse. knocks herself out. Yeah. <laughs> Palomino ponies. This time a bunch of ponies are injured. A fence is cut in at least 30 places. Well, and this is the point where I'm like, why aren't you just like killing ponies? If this is your goal, if this is your end game, it is a lot of very forgettable plot. Nancy convinces the cook to stay by solving the mystery of the phantom horse. Out of nowhere, the cook is like, I'm leaving. I can't handle horses. What are ghosts? Nancy's like, hey, listen, your pies are tight. Please stay one more evening. And she's like, well, for you, Nancy, if it helps the plot. Nancy's like, hey, everyone, look out the window. And they see phantom spots. Phantom spots. Yes. And it freaks the cook out. Yes. She's like, oh, oh, no. oh no. Take him away. If I saw glowing spots, I wouldn't be like, it's a ghost that is small points. The phantom spots come into the room. Lights on. It's the dog. The yeah. dog has glow-in-the-dark paint on his teeth. He bit up that horse real good, and they washed his muzzle, but they forgot to wash his teeth. And he's got dry mouth, I guess. Yes, for days. Be and she says, well, I learned about glow-in-the-dark paint, phosphorescent paint, in science class, and I know it glows if it's exposed to light. Mm. And that's why I saw the light on, before I saw the horse every time. Mm. Aren't you glad that that loose end is wrapped up? And everyone says, yes, we were wondering about why the light was on every time. <laughs> that we, nobody else noticed. They're coming up to the rodeo. Dave asks her out to the rodeo. It's going to be a triple date. Tex and <laughs> Bud are going to go with Bess and George. So Dave asks Nancy out, saying, and I love this, I, I highlighted this, all along I couldn't help liking you, just to let us know that no matter how mean he was nancy's likable god she was called pretty so much in this thing i couldn't even i also i did highlight a point at the beginning of the book where it said it called her an attractive girl and then it immediately afterwards referred to an attractive sandwich shop <laughs> and it just made me go hmm okay now i know what this book's into she kept brushing her hair till it gleamed hair tighty and hair he asks her out and this is our introduction to a new character ned who the heck is ned now if any of our listeners have been to you know 
the future where these books continue they might have met this character but i assure you this has not come up before when nancy gets this date george teases what will poor ned do nancy said well he's in europe who's ned and best is like well you just wait dave's gonna be really good at dancing when it comes to really esoteric secrets who's ned and they literally do not describe him two more books until he shows up listen i haven't been to the future but that's my assumption dave having already asked nancy out wants a piece of her cake and how do you get a piece of a woman's cake you say come on come on cookie oh god so I love this too. They're like, okay, barbecue's coming up. We, we always bring a dessert. What should we bring? Texas, like, I really want a chocolate cake. And Bess is like, oh, Nancy makes really good chocolate cake. And Mrs. Raleigh's like, oh, you're elected. She's just going to make this chocolate cake, but it's a classic. Who will help me make my cake? I get these cowboys <laughs> to open up the walnuts. So everyone's like, I will help. But as far as I know, the only help was the cowboys. And they're like, ah, oh, boys, we were hired out to punch cattle punch cows but instead we're sitting here shelling some nuts cracking nuts what did she say to aunt bet who mm. has said to her your family now call me aunt bet creepy she says do you have walnuts and aunt bet says we have everything don't ask anymore we have whatever, everything whatever you want we have walnuts are they in shells if you want them shelled we got cowboys <laughs> so yeah she so makes good. a big chocolate cake and, and no sooner is it done but everybody wants a slice <laughs> right come then. on cookie yeah come on cookie it sounds like an amazing cake it has dark chocolate swirls of frosting and whole walnuts on the top it's for the best meal of the book they go to this rodeo it's a date on the intercom they're like nancy you gotta come take a call george is there glowering at best and making snide remarks and nancy's like i gotta go get the phone best ends up saving the day by going to get a hot dog nancy goes to the phone booth immediately gets grabbed by bercy and mr diamond and they're like you're coming with us we're bad guys and we can just kidnap you in public that's fine oh your friends showed up because your friend wanted a hot dog and we're right next to the concessions oh i guess this kidnapping won't work after all you kidnap one white girl and that's a tragedy you kidnap three white girls that's human trafficking we can't have that no thank you not in this crowd let's do our favorite segment hope's meal of the book they've got this meat they've buried it underground in a barbecue pit they've cooked it in hot coals overnight it's steaming and they serve it with spicy relish and potato mm. salad which is what got me wanting potato salad i literally went out and got stuff for potato salad <laughs> i'm looking forward to that and then they had ice cream and nancy's chocolate cake chocolate walnut cake were the win and then they won the square dance and then silly shorty shows up and thinks that they're kidnapped so he does his sound imitations he's so surprised to see them and when shorty in the voice of a coyote goes what yeah. <laughs> when he sees them all the dates are just like <laughs> i guess he's surprised to see you alive let's eat more cake and uh nancy decides to get up on stage and announce that they're going treasure hunting the next day to trick the bad guys oh i love it she tells the whole crowd we found the treasure of the guy and everyone's like what <laughs> who are you her clever plan is that the bad guys are going to follow these other guys who are going out but she doesn't hide the fact that her and the girls are also going out for funsies yeah and she's day. like maybe maybe they'll just think that we're just dumb girls 
Yes. Pretty much, that's what she says. And this is when they find Alice's dad. Third man found tied up on a floor. For six months, he's been being underfed and his paintings have been being sold. Then they go to the cliff dwellings where they find the treasure room. Hundreds of small, shining gold hearts mm-hmm. and stacks of United States banknotes and a chamois bag. It contained an assortment of precious jewels. And Nancy says to herself, it can't be real. She says this out loud. I'm dreaming. We found out from the bottle that it was in the oldest building of the ranch. And she deduces, ah, back then the cliff dwellings were on the property. Oh, I did not put that together. So my understanding was that she just said, you know, those (laughs) used to be part of the property. I should check there. Nancy, it's all over. She's found the treasure. Starts the signal fire. Oh no, Mr. Diamond is here. Put that fire out, young lady. Pretends to throw the treasure off the cliff. Throws a rock off the cliff. Wrapped in tragedy, her father's sweater that she had half done already. She gets the guys to all fight over who should go down the cliff for the bag. This was great. A little Three Stooges moment for her. They just, I guess someone was like, there was a lot of monologuing in that last one in explanation. Let's have them fight over what they did for the treasure and then each say their part. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was me who laid the footprints by the place in the place. (laughs) Ah, yes, but I purchased the clay from which we would make footprint markers. Like, just like every little thing anyone could have done the whole time. Even then, we had a lot of it already revealed to us by Alice's dad in a very monologue fashion. (laughs) But this all stalls for time. Two people have gone after the rock wrapped in a sweater, which I think we can all admit the greatest treasure of all Mm -hmm. is a sweater from your daughter. In the dark, you hear something open and Mr. Diamond says, in case you're wondering, I'm opening a wooden box where we keep dynamite. I guess this is the shortcoming of a non-visual narrative. In case you're wondering. (laughs) I'm not very good at using sounds to make it clear. Let me just tell you. Come on, Mr. Diamond. That's no way to tell a story. Well, if you do that, you'll you'll blow the the treasure. treasure. Dave can ride over the horizon figuratively with the sheriff and save the day and once again we have a book in which nancy drew solves a mystery how by using her wit her intuition but most importantly her ability to be kidnapped yes nothing really would have been solved unless she got close enough to the bad guys that they just said i guess we just have to kidnap you let's kill her we can't let's sabotage her we can't let's confuse her we can't uh i guess we have to kidnap her now she's got you it's a really good choice that she's not kidnapped alone this time it's a really good choice honestly to leave mr drew out of it i think we hear about him once she never has to call her dad yeah they they she's just on a dangerous ranch <laughs> yeah and that's i think part of the whole turning point suddenly this is just nancy's adventure and suddenly she's capable of being on it we'll find out if it continues this way next time in the secret of Redgate Farm. This book is the second secret we've encountered. The first one being the secret of the old clock. And next one, they said, we're going to double down and do another secret. I am going to continuously be interested in the naming conventions. Because I think we're going to see a lot more secrets, mysteries, and clues than anything else. I was gratified for the hidden staircase because at least it's just a thing. It's a whole new Nancy now. It's a whole new Nancy. Anything could happen. That girl's girl's got nuts when she graduated. For River Heights Radio, I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. Go Go Wildcats! Wildcats. (laughs) Oh boy. We might need
need to have a special episode about this video game sometime. I have a we have a ho- there's a host of video games we can um oh I don't know put them on our Patreon. Remember to support us at our Patreon. <laughs> you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our Patreon River Heights Radio. We'd really appreciate it. Instagram at River Heights Radio, Twitter at River Heights FM, River Heights Radio on Facebook, and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a, a lot of hours into these episodes, but we're having a lot of fun. That's oh, a blast. So, it's all thank for you, you guys. for listening. An extra special big thanks to Robert Busby for composing and recording this podcast's musical intro and to the wonderful Hope Busby for editing this entire thing. You guys make it happen. Thank <laughs> you.